Hi. Hi. <laughs> Good morning. We're in, I think, part seven of a long series. Uh, it's called Why God? And, um, you know, um, I've been getting some good responses from you guys. I think you guys like this sermon series. I didn't think you would like it, but I'm glad that you do. <laughs> uh, I'm just letting you guys know, uh, next week we're going to conclude our series, but really we're concluding today. Next week we're going to have a question and response. So if you have any questions about what we've been talking about, um, you could put it in, you, you could send the questions today uh, through your app, or next week you'll be able to text them in and we'll be doing it live. So um, think of questions. Uh, if you have questions now or you've held on some questions, you could send it through the app today and uh, we'll get to them next week. So um, yeah, just you guys let, letting you guys know. But if this is your first time joining us, you're kind of joining us at the end of the story, end of the movie. And so let me quickly catch you guys up on, on what we've been talking about. So when it comes to our faith, when, when it comes to Christianity, a lot of us have been putting, the, it's like a puzzle, jigsaw puzzle. We've been putting pieces into this bigger picture. And as we were doing it, as we're putting this puzzle together and we go out into the world, it's easy to tear apart that faith because a lot of times the answers we've been getting to our faith-based questions were not good enough for, let's just say, when you go to a school or when you talk to that smart kid in school or that crazy uncle that likes to disprove everything, right? And so we talked about how maybe the way that we've, we've constructed our faith was not, basic, was not the best way to construct our faith. So for the first few weeks of this series, we've been deconstructing it, our faith, right? And you're like, is the church supposed to deconstruct my faith? In this case, yeah. And then we've been rebuilding it. And, and for the past few weeks, we talked about what is the core of what we believe? Why is it important that we believe these things? And so, and in the beginning of our sermon series, I kind of give you this quick illustration, this animation. So when it comes to our faith, that's me or you, put whoever's face on it, who you wish, okay? That when it comes to our faith, next screen, we like to... Like, when we get hit by something really hard, we usually walk towards atheism, a, a prayer request that you, you said, God, please protect this person, and the person wasn't protected. And you're like, you know what? I, I, don't, I can't believe anymore. I'm going to walk over to atheism. I don't want to believe in God anymore, right? That, that's one way of looking at it. And I said, that's a very logical thing to do. It is. It makes sense, right? But when it comes to the faith that we've been building, we're not looking for, uh, we're not trying to accomplish this because even though it's a logical way to go, it's not the way that we ought to go. Instead, next, next screen, when, when we come across obstacles, things that really hurt us, instead we want to walk the other direction. So next screen, like we want to walk towards something called faith 2.0. Now faith 2.0 is a very interesting thing because what we're saying is when things get tough, we tend to abandon faith and we go towards atheism, but when we look through the scriptures, it seems like persecution, tough times, was actually fuel to deepen our faith. And so we're like, what went wrong? Because in today's world, it's just easy to just throw in the towel and say, you know what, this whole Jesus thing, I'm done with it, I'm going to go towards this direction. But instead, when we read through the scriptures, we see people who, who were challenged with their faith, and as a result, they went deeper, and they were more committed and so, like, what's the difference? And so we've been talking about that. And what we basically said was our childhood faith, okay, the, th the, the things that we learned in Sunday school was good at the time. But as adults, if we don't keep working on it, it's easy to just toss aside. What we need is an adult faith. So what we've been talking about this is this, faith 2.0. Loving others as Jesus loved us is central to Christianity. 
At the core of who we are as Christians, it's not, I prayed and God gave me something. And if God stops giving me that thing, then I'm going to give up on God. That's not what Christianity is. At the core of what Christianity is, it's basically saying, whatever happens, I'm committed to love the people around me in the way that Jesus loved me. So it's not about, so-and-so died, so I can't believe in God anymore. So-and-so died, but I will commit to continue to love the people around me. This is a commitment. It's not... I don't feel God anymore. It's not the genie God where we're like, I asked for something, he didn't give it to me. It's not the bad things happening to good people argument. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? About how, why are bad things happening to good people? I can't believe in God anymore. And we talked about how Christianity started with a good person being crucified on the cross. So, you know, like, we don't know where we picked up on these different versions of God. But the bottom line here is, Christianity is not about what we, we could gain out of it. It's about how we could empty ourselves to the people around us. And so if bad things happen to you, that's just part of the package of what it means to be a Christian. And so we were talking like how Christianity is more demanding if we understand what Christianity really is. If, if we really understand what this is, Christianity is more demanding, but at the same time, true Christianity is appealing. What? A group of people who are committed to making the world better? A group of people who worship God who says, yes, it's, it, you know, no matter how hard it is, we're going to be honest with people. No matter how hard it is, we will commit to care for the people and put myself second. And like, all these things is appealing. And so uh, I'm going to tell you guys right now, I mean, we, we're seven sermons into the series. Uh, I want to tell you guys this, okay, like the purpose of why we're doing this series in the first place, okay? The purpose we're doing this is, is this, and I shared this, uh, this with you a little bit before. And by the way, I'm sorry, I have a weak knee, so I have to sit down here once in a while. Um, the purpose of the series is that when I look at the American Christianity, in the past seven or eight years, we've seen a lot of the people in this thing called Christianity migrate to this group called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. These people who says, I don't want to be affiliated with any religion. I'm not an atheist but I'm also not a Christian, so I'm somewhere in between. Uh, I, uh, none of the above. That's, that's, that's my answer. The, that's, okay, so I'm like, how did most of the people who are evangelicals, especially people who are 33 and younger, how did these people end up in that category? And as I looked into it, and as I prayed about it, and as I talked to people and read books about it, what I discovered is it's because the version of Christianity that we've been teaching was extremely infantile. And so we wanted to go deeper and understand what Christianity really is about. And as we did that, what we discovered is, I don't want that to happen to Westlight. I don't want it to happen to this church. I don't want people in this church saying, Kotz, I'm done with Christianity. Why? Because I've had some tough times or because I prayed for something that didn't happen. Uh, because that is never promised in the Bible. Like, if you're going to give up on Christianity, at least give up on the real thing, right? I don't want you to give up on the thing that is pseudo-Christian. So, um, the purpose we're doing this series is that, number one, is that you don't leave. But there's another reason. There's a second reason for why we're doing this series. And the second reason is this. Uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to meet with almost every single member of this church. You know, I moved, we met over coffee, we met over breakfast. I don't know if some of you guys remember. Um, I wasn't a coffee drinker, but by the time I finished meeting with all of you guys, I was a gold member at Starbucks. That was awesome. Um, you got me started in coffee. Um, but as I started talking to you, trying to find out where is God leading this church, a lot of you, not all of you, but a lot of you shared this story with me. I used to go to church when I was, in, when I was a youth. Or I used to go to church. Somebody invited me to church when I was in college. 
But then I stopped going. And it was like 10 years, 20 years. And then I found Westlake, and I started coming back again. That seems to be the common story that I heard from a lot of you. And I thought, if God is moving this church to be a sort of a comeback church, then when people come back, I don't want people to come back to an infantile version of faith. Because they'll be like, oh, this is more of what I learned when I was a kid. What I was hoping to accomplish is that when you came back, you're like, this version of Christianity seems deeper. This version of Christianity makes more sense. This version of Christianity seems to cost me everything that I am, and I'm ready to sign up for it. And so that's what we're trying to accomplish here. And so, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm a pastor, so I'm very biased towards this. I believe that the world would be better if more people were Christians. I mean, that's my biased opinion, right? And so that's why I want to either keep you as a Christian, or if you've stepped away, that I want to give you permission to come back. And for some of, the, some of you, the things I've been talking about for the past few weeks, you're like, if that's what Christianity is, I am ready to come back. And I've gotten a lot of emails and by the way, we have a lot of people who watch us online, right? And in, in, a few, in the past month, we had over 1,000 views of the series. And so like, and people have been emailing me saying, like, I'm excited about this Christianity thing. So if that's you, and yeah, if you're interested and you're like, hey, you know, I want to say I want to come back to Christianity, I'm glad that you're saying that now because this is a version of Christianity that we want you to come back to. But if you're like, but I don't know, I don't know. I'm still a nun, and I'm happy to be a nun. I don't want to sign my name on any deadline. It's okay. And the reason it's okay is because at the core of who we are as a church, we believe in this, that you can belong before you believe. If you're like, I don't know if I believe in this God thing, it's okay. You're welcome to come here because I know people who are like, you know, I don't believe in Jesus anymore, so I don't know if I should come to church. No. You're always welcome to be here. You'll never be alienated for not being a believer. And the reason we do this is because when we look at the story of Jesus, the people who followed Jesus doubted Jesus every step of the way. It wasn't until when he died and rose again that these people who followed him for three years are like, oh, you know what? I believe now. So, and we also believe that we don't have all the answers. We believe that we know some things, and whatever that we do know, we want to share it with you. So if you're like, I don't have all the answers, I don't have everything figured out, so I don't know if I could come to this. No, no, no. You're welcome to be here, and you're part of our family, even if you're not a believer. We're just happy that you're here. Okay, so, and the reason we're saying this, and for some of you, it's like, yeah, duh, we knew this, Kotz, uh, you know, but the reason why I'm saying this to you right now is because I want to be extremely clear in the purpose of what we're trying to accomplish here. What we're trying to accomplish here is this. If there are things along the way in your journey that's keeping you away from believing in Jesus, putting your trust in Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, we want any blo- anything that blocks you, you know, that says, oh, I, I want to go in this direction, but there's certain things that I just don't appreciate, I don't like, so I don't want to go there, you know. If, okay, we've been trying everything we can to remove any roadblocks out of the way. The only thing that should repel you from God would be God, okay? Everything else, we want to try to get out of the way so there's a clear path for you to get to know who God is, for who he is, not because we represented him right or wrong or, you know, things like that. So we've been doing a lot of things. Um, and so for the past few weeks, we've been talking about how if you had a bad church experience and that's why you're staying away from God, we're sorry. Maybe it's not this church, but on behalf of whatever church experience you had that's repelled you from church or from God, we want to apologize, and we want to make that right. And maybe you being a part of our church is going to help us be- become a better church, right? Maybe it was 
another bad Christian. At work, there's that one Christian guy that's always blasting Christian music and you can't get any work done. And you're like, whoa, would you please turn on the volume? And you're like, I'm just worshiping my Lord. And you're like, well, we have work to do, right? Maybe you had a bad Christian experience. Well, we're all working on that too, <laughs> okay? Um, being annoying is not a Christian problem. It's a human problem. I'm just letting you know, okay? We're all working on it. We're trying to get better at it. Or maybe it's bad theology, Somebody told you something about God. Maybe they, somebody said, you know what, God, you know, he's a Republican. And you're like, that's why I don't want to be, you know, or somebody said, you know, God, he's a, he's a Democrat. It's like, oh, well, that's why I don't want to, you know, right? Maybe somebody just gave you bad theology. Did you know when you asked for something, God always gives you what you want the way you want, and when you pray, it didn't work out? And you're like, that's why I don't believe in God. Maybe it's bad theology. So whatever it is that's gotten in the way of you coming to know who God really is, we want to get rid of it. And so in, in that way, we're hoping to make church and God more appealing as it's supposed to be. But this is what I also discovered, okay? That some will never, never return to their faith no matter how appealing it is. There are things that we will not compromise on. We're not going to compromise the character of who God is. We're not going to compromise on the things that, that the Bible says about who God is, okay? But you're like, honest, honestly, you're saying, that doesn't bother me who God is, then what is it? And you can't give me an answer because you're like, I don't know what it is, but I just don't, you know, I don't know what it is. And so no matter how we change the church, no matter how appealing you make the church, you're, you're like, I, there's, sorry, I just, I, you know what? No matter information is going to change my mind, I am not going to go back to God. And so today I want to talk about that. And I was talking about this with my wife last night, and we we're talking about it, and she asked me these questions like, who is this sermon for? And I'm like, I have no idea. So we don't know who the target audience is for this sermon, okay? But wherever God takes this message, and if it speaks to you, great. If not, you know, whatever. But, um, <laughs> okay, but I have to share with you what I feel God put on my heart, okay? So if you guys could bear with me for the next 20 minutes or so, this is what I feel like God has shared with me. I want to share with you guys. I want to talk about this, brutal honesty, brutal honesty. When it comes to becoming honest with ourselves, it is very, very difficult. It is extremely difficult. When I look in the mirror and I say, okay, Kotz, it's time to be honest with yourself. And you look in the mirror and you say, what's wrong with me? I tell you, I'll tell you this. Every time I'm trying to be brutally honest with myself, I always end up with homework assignments. It's either I need to go apologize to somebody or I have to go change something that I'm doing in my life or that part of my lifestyle is not good for me. I'm going to change that part. Whenever I take the time to be honest with myself, I always end up with homework assignments. And that's true not just for me, it's true for you too, right? You looked in the mirror and you're like, gosh, I need to get a haircut, which I do too. But you know, like, oh gosh, I need to change the way that I treat people. Or maybe I have to change my view on how I treat certain groups of people. We all know that if we're deeply, brutally honest with ourselves, we always end up with assignments. And brutal honesty is so important to us. And the reason is this, because self-deception always takes us in a regretful direction always. And the sooner you're honest with yourself, the lesser the consequence. So my mom's been telling me, you know, Kotz, you need to go to the doctor, get your heart checked, because, you know, I, I was born with a heart defect, so, so it's like, you need to go check. And I've been saying, yes, 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 and I actually tried to call him for an appointment, and it was really hard because it's the end of the year, and people, you know, it gets really busy at the hospital around this time of year. But honestly, I really didn't want to get checked up. Why? Because I knew what the doctor was going to say. They're going to say, you know, you haven't been that eating healthy for the past few months. 
I know they're going to say that. But I don't want to be honest with myself because I, I want to be comfortable with myself. So I don't want people to tell me, you know, what I already know about myself, right? <laughs> because the longer I avoid it, the longer I could stay in this la-la land of thinking like everything's okay. But the sooner I go and tell the doctor, can you check me up, give me the honest opinion of what you think I'm going through right now, the sooner I can make changes in my life and the sooner I can be better and be healthier. And for some of you, like in your marriages, if you just knew that you were honest, if you just said, you know what, I looked in the mirror and asked myself, what's the truth, what is the honest opinion about where I am right now? You could have probably saved a few fights. You could have probably been like, you know what, I thought about it, and it, you're right, it was my fault. Or you know what, I don't know if it was my fault, but, but had I listened to you a little carefully, then maybe it wouldn't have exploded in the way it did. Or maybe if I was more careful with the words I used, then maybe it wouldn't have turned into what it is right now. If we're just honest, and the earlier we're honest, the more <laughs> lesser consequences, consequences you have to deal with. Maybe it's finances. If you're honest about your spending habits, that everything you bought was not necessary, right? that you could have been spending it for something else, the sooner you're honest with that, the lesser consequ consequences you have to deal with. So whether if it's your relationships, your finances, about, or your health, whatever it is, the sooner you're honest with, the, with, with what you're really thinking, what you're really feeling, the more you're honest with who you are, the less are the consequences. Now, what does this have to do with anything we're talking about? There's an example of a person that I'm thinking of that was brutally honest with himself and I commend him for it. His name is Thomas Nagel. Here's a picture of him. He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's an atheist. Uh, he also uh, is a really smart guy. He's a philosopher. He teaches at the University of New York, I believe. Right? He wrote this famous book. This book is called, um, it's called Mind and Cosmos. And this is the subtitle of that. Okay, it's, it's like a whole essay in itself. Why the materialist Neil Darwin nature is almost certainly false. I mean, that's like a long title, right? Um, he wrote this in about early 2000, around 2002. And this is a book that I read to prepare for this sermon series. And it was great. Basically, uh, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but this, what this book is about is he basically says, the things that Christians are always accused of, like meaning when there's a gap, you're like, oh, it must have been God, right? Like, oh, why was there an earthquake? Uh, because God. Or why did somebody get sick but not the other person? Uh, because of God. We always fill in the gap with God, right? He says, the scientific community, especially the atheists, they do the exact same thing. So we're just as guilty. Like when there's something we can't explain, we fill it with science and say, I, I don't know how that works, but science will eventually explain it. And so he basically says, it's a double-edged sword, so stop using that technique to, you know, that's, that's basically what they're saying. Okay, but the book I didn't read <laughs> is the one that I want to talk to you about today. A few years before that, he wrote this book. He's called The Last Word. And obviously it wasn't The Last Word because he wrote that other book afterwards, right? Okay. I didn't read this book, maybe I should, but there's a quote in here that made this book famous. And the whole atheist, the neo-atheist community got really up in arms about it because he was being brutally honest about being an atheist. And I want to share a quote from this book that I know about. I didn't read the book, but this is the part I do know. This is what he said. I want atheism to be true and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. What he's saying here is really interesting. He's saying... It is my desire for God not to exist. He continues. He says this. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. 
This is a guy who's being honest. What he's saying is this, okay? What he's saying is this, that there's a difference between I don't believe it to and I don't want to believe it. What he argues here is this, okay? Most atheists, including himself, he would admit, he says, we have a lot of proof that God doesn't exist, right? But what he says here is all that information that we gathered is just backing up what we want the answer to be. In other words, here it says, I don't believe it at the top, right? He says, that's people who are like, I looked at both bits, a bunch of evidence, and you're like, you know what? I look at the evidence, and I just think that God doesn't exist. He's like, that's okay. But he says, majority of atheists falls into the bottom category, which is will over brain. The top one is brain over will, right? He says, the reason why I'm an atheist is because I don't want there to be a God. Why? Well, we're going to talk about it for the rest of the sermon, but the question he asks is this. The question is this. Did you stop believing before you gathered an arsenal of arguments against God? Where did that unbelief come from? Where did it come from? Like, is it because you looked at the pile of evidence and said, this is which I believe? Then that's a, that's a great way of looking at it, okay? Because a lot of people do that. But in general, most people have chosen to not believe in God before they saw the evidence. And then on, on top of that, they started gathering evidence to believe in one side or the other, to, to, to benefit their argument. And this is a very interesting thing. And this is why. Because when you look at the scriptures, when you look at the Bible from beginning to end, it, the Bible doesn't start with the proof of why God exists. It doesn't say, in the beginning, hold up, I need to give you some background information as to five reasons why God really exists, right? The Bible doesn't start that way. It just says, in the beginning, God. It's almost like presumed that everybody knows that God exists, right? But so from beginning to end, that's how they treat the existence of God. But there are two places in the Bible, which we're going to go over today, that talks about people who don't believe in God. Okay, and so this is really interesting. So the first part is found in the book of Psalms, chapter 14. We're going to take a look at that right now. It says this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, before somebody gets offended, okay, the word fool is not the word fool that we understand today because the word fool in today's world is a matter of intellect, right? There's the person who's smart and there's the fool, right, that doesn't know much, right? That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying people who don't believe in God are not smart. That's not what he's saying here at all. The word fool in this context, and in, especially in that culture, are people who like to live their lives as if nothing else matters. It's the people who says, I want to live my life my way. You know, some people might say this immoral, but I don't care. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. He says the person who does not believe in God, but the person who says there is no God, are the people who want to live their lives the way they want to live. And it's easier for them to live that life if there is no accountability between them and God. So they just rather just say God doesn't exist because I want to live my life the way I want to live it. Does, it. does it make sense? Because he continues this thought in the next part of this verse. He says this. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. See, they're not talking about the intellect here. They're talking about their deeds, right? There is no one who, do, who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Now, this is what he's saying here. God is looking around, and he's looking for people who are saying, like, does anybody here want to know what I want? Is there anyone here? Because the people who are seeking the will of the Lord, these are the people who are saying, I'm willing to live according to what God wants me to live, okay? Even, no matter how inconvenient it is, I'm willing to make the adjustments in my life to see what God wants me to do. But the people who are like, I want to live my life the way I want to live, 
These are the people who are saying, you know, I want to live the, li- the life that I want to live, this kind of what Nagel was saying, right? And it's just inconvenient that God is there telling me not to do the things I want to do. So I just want to wish him out of existence. So in Psalm 14, what the writer says is this. When it comes to atheism, in most cases, I don't want to say a blanket statement saying that everybody's like this, okay? The, in most cases, the reason why people choose not to follow God or believe in God or the, believe in the existence of God is because it's inconvenient to them. That the will preceded the research. I don't want God to exist, and therefore I'm going to start looking into evidence that supports my perspective, not the other way around. There's a guy named Pascal in the 1600s, really smart guy. He died at the age, in, the, in his 30s, I think. And so he was a young prodigy. He was a mathematician. He was a physicist, really smart guy. This is what he said about belief. He said this, People almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. And you're like, man, those atheists, I can't believe it. No, 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 no. This is everybody, including Christians. All of us. We do this all the time. We're all guilty of this. And the reason we're all guilty of this is because most of us, we're not on a truth quest. You like to think you are, but most of us are not on a truth quest. Most of us are on a happiness quest. When you wake up in the morning, you're not looking to say, how can truth inconvenience me today? Most of you guys don't wake up asking that question. Most of you wake up thinking, how can I make myself more comfortable today? How can I make myself happier today? And you're willing to do anything, even lie to yourself, deceive yourself into thinking certain ways just to make yourself more comfortable. And this is the thing that really bothers me, and because it's true about me, it's true about you, is that if your faith, if your departure from faith was based on will, no information will change your mind. I studied this stuff for a very long time. I started my faith with apologetics so I could prove the existence, the existence of God. So I have a lot of information. I have a lot of books at home. I have, you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading, right? And when, when it comes to people, and there's several people that I come across who says, yeah, because I don't believe anymore. What I find really interesting is that when they, when it, when they say, I don't want to believe anymore, they don't come to me and say, Kotz, can you give me reasons why I should continue my faith? When people say, you know what, I give up on God, I don't think he exists, and I said, you want to meet and I could talk to you about it, they're like, no, I don't want to talk about it. But if you really are curious about the evidence of God and no God, I think the best thing to do is to talk to people who are experts in it. But the people who toss away their faith are people who are saying, I don't want to hear proof, I just want to end it. And so what I realized is there's nothing that we could say, nothing your friends could say, nothing that a book could tell you that's going to change your mind because your will is that powerful. And I'll give an example. I was at a retreat a few years ago, and I was speaking for several programs, and uh, I was doing a question and, res- question and response time. And there was this college student, she was about 20 years old, who came up to me and started asking me questions like, if God is real, then blah, blah, blah. She started asking all the questions. And by the way, all these questions have been asked so many times right, that it doesn't really stump you anymore, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, if God is so good, why is there evil in this world, or, you know, if, um, how do you, how do you talk, you know, like, evolution, and like, yeah, well, you know, you could be a Christian and an evolution at the same time, you know, and this person kept on asking questions, she was like, well, you know, if God is real, then blah, 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 well, don't you think God isn't real, you know, and she just gave me all this evidence, or quote-unquote evidence, and as I was listening, and I was giving answers to her questions, what I started discovering is, she wasn't looking for me to give her answers. She was looking for ways to convince me that God didn't exist. It wasn't a two-way conversation. It was, 
I want to convince Katz that God isn't real. And so I kind of stopped the conversation and I said, hey, can I just ask you a question? And she's like, sure, what is it? It's like, what's behind all these questions? Why are you asking me these questions? It doesn't seem like you're looking for answers. It looks like you're trying to convince me or maybe just yourself that God isn't real. And after a few seconds of thinking about it, she started getting really sad. She started crying. And she looked at me and she said, Kotz, I go to a Christian college. It's like, uh-huh. It's like, because my parents wanted me to go to a Christian college. And I'm like, yeah? And she's like, and I, wa- I want you to know that a lot of the people there are not Christians. I'm like, oh, that's interesting, right? And she said, all my friends are having sex. And the other day, and she, she had a very low self-esteem. She's like, I don't think I'm beautiful, but a guy made a move at me. And I thought, this is my chance. And the only thing that was keeping me from compromising was that I felt like I was being accountable to God. And if God didn't exist, I could have that experience right now that all my friends are having. I feel alone. And so I looked at her and I realized, oh my gosh, it's not that she doesn't believe in God. It's that the existence of God has kept her from doing something that she really wanted to do. And I realized, man, the will is so powerful that you could actually will somebody out of existence because you want it that way. The heart is what causes you to, be- is causes you to research in one way or another. St. Augustine, really smart Christian guy, he said this. We love the truth when it enlightens us, but we hate the truth when it convicts us. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? In my experience, I would get in a fight when I was younger. I would get in a fight with my parents or with my friends, anybody, right? And halfway, and you probably could relate to this story, halfway through the argument, you realize you're totally wrong. (laughs) But you keep arguing your point. Why? Because I'm not on a truth quest. When I'm I'm arguing with my parents, I'm not on a truth quest. I just want to be right. I want to get my way. And even though I know I won that fight at the end of the at the end of the fight, I'm like, yes, I won. But deep down inside, I'm like, but they were totally right, <laughs> you know, right? Because all of this is our will. Our will is that you know what? I don't know the evidence. There might be some evidence that I don't know about. Maybe there's some books written that I never read that gives me the perfect evidence for the existence of God, or you know, right? I haven't read all the books in the world about this one topic, but all I know is that my heart wants God not to exist, and because my heart wants it. I'm willing to deceive myself. You might not think you're deceiving yourself, but when you're brutally honest with yourself, you'll realize that it's not the evidence that led you to this point. It's the heart. There's something that your heart wanted and it didn't work well with God. And so it was easier for you to just push God out of the picture and maintain what you have than to deal with this conflict that you think that you have. So we're talking about being brutally honest. And if we're brutally honest, this is what we would say that we don't want God to be real and we covered it up with reason. It's so inconvenient for God to exist in some cases, isn't it? But the question I want to get to, like the core of what this is all about is this. Why don't we want God to exist? What causes us to be so afraid of God's existence? What is it? I came up with two, maybe three, reasons why we don't want God to exist. And this is kind of weird coming from a pastor saying, here are the reasons why God doesn't exist. Okay, but here we go. I don't want God to exist, number one, because I made mistakes. Um, and for so, some of you who left the church and came back, you probably could relate to this. You did something that you completely regret. 
and you knew that if you came back to church, you would feel like a hypocrite. That you would stand here and sing some songs about God and how good he is. Meanwhile, in the back of your mind, you're like, but I'm such a hypocrite for singing how good God is when I myself am not living that lifestyle that I was supposed to live. You made a mistake. And for some of you, you made that mistake and you hit it. And you, you're like, I'm not going to tell anybody. And so, you know, right, <laughs> and you're, you're doing your thing. And then eventually... You're like, you know what, this, this secret inside me is growing so big that I, I can't hide it anymore and you just stop coming to church. You're like, you know what, I'm not going to pray anymore because I know what I'm going to be facing if I actually had to deal with this. It's so inconvenient. And so a lot of us said, you know, I made mistakes in the past and it was so big that I don't think I should be in the presence of God. I don't think I should be at church. I shouldn't be hanging out with the people who believe in these things. That's number one reason, I think. It's number two reason well, I want to live for me. I want to live for me. What I mean by that is this. There's a new Costco that opened up near where I live, okay? And um, I love it because not many people know about it. But this, yesterday I went there, there was like crazy crowds, right? Because it's Thanksgiving, everybody's buying their stuff. And I'm winning in line, trying to buy this one thing. I know, some people go to Costco just to buy one thing. And I'm in line, and it's a slow line. And then these people kind of cut in front of me Right? And they, and okay, it's like they cut in front of me. I could just say, excuse me, uh, hey, I was in line, right? But these people, they cut in line, and when you say, excuse me, they act like they don't, you don't exist. They're like, mm, right? And I thought, and this is totally not good, but, you know, so I'm just confessing to you, right? At this point, I'm thinking, man, if these guys knew they were accountable with God, like, if they knew that one day they're going to stand before God, and God's going to say, why did you cut cuts, a pastor at Costco, right? If they knew, like, you know, these people probably don't know Jesus. You know, that's probably what it is, right? <laughs> but here, okay, this is a bad example, but this is the point I'm trying to make, okay? If you believe that God has a mission in your life, if you believe that God has called you to love the people around you, that means you can't cut people in line. But for the people who've been cutting people in line all their lives, I'm just venting now, okay? <laughs> if you've been cutting people in line in Costco your whole life, and all of a sudden, you're like, God wants you to be honest. God wants you to love the people, especially people in Lion Costco, especially pastors. <laughs> right? The existence of God is very, very inconvenient for you. Maybe in your business, you like to, to cheat people into giving you more money. And you realize, if I believe in loving others, I can't do that anymore. So that means you have to take a pay cut. And that's so inconvenient. And you're like, you know, I like the lifestyle I'm living right now because I'm living for me and my gain. But to, to, to acknowledge that God exists, a God of love exists, is to say that I can't live the way I'm do- living anymore. I can't be as luxurious as anymore. I need to give, I have to be generous towards people. That means I have less money for myself. And you're like, I want to live for me. So either we made mistakes or you want to live for you. And so you're like, I don't want to go to church because I don't want to be convicted of these things. And there are other reasons on this list that I'm not going to look For example, like you had a misunderstanding who God is and you know, his stance on certain issues. That's a different issue. But what I'm trying to say is these two issues right here that I listed here could be expounded. You know, the problem might be like this big, but it becomes this big when you add the church into it because some of you assume that God and by extension the church would reject you. I did something bad. I made a mistake. And now if I go to church, I know the people at the church are going to reject me. 
maybe God's going to be like, sorry, you can't be a Christian anymore. Turn your Christian badge, leave it at the door on your way out. You know, like we start thinking, we start projecting this idea that God and the church is going to reject me for making that mistake. It's like a scarlet letter. I did something bad and now I don't belong in the church. And that's so not true. Right? I'll give you another example. Let's just say you started using drugs. You were with the wrong crowd and they peer pressured you into it and now you're using it. You're, you're drinking, you're smoking, you're using drugs, right? And now you're like, I made a mistake. If I go to church, people are going to smell it. They're going to reject me. God's going to reject me. And you know what? I actually like the new lifestyle that I found. So uh, you know what? It's easier for me to just take God, put him in a box and toss him aside and say he doesn't exist and I'm going to start building an arsenal of arguments to say that God doesn't exist. And that's what the Bible says about people who say that they don't believe in God. Most people don't, it's not an intellectual thing anymore. I mean, it became an intellectual thing but it started with the heart. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, remember how I said there's two places in the Bible that talks about people not believing in God? The second place is found in the book of Romans. And this is written by a guy named Paul, one of the first Christian leaders. And this is what he said about a whole community of people who chose not to believe in the existence of God. This is what he says. And I'm going to break it down because people misunderstand this verse sometimes. The wrath of God, now let me stop right there because you're like, wrath of God, what is that? If you read it in context and if you understand Jewish culture, wrath of God is not what you think it is. It's not, you did something wrong, lightning bolt. That's not the wrath of God, okay? Oh, look at them mis misbehaving, flood. That's not the wrath of God. In the Old Testament, nine out of 10 times, probably more, 99% of the time maybe, of wrath of God is basically God saying, humanity, you're doing some things wrong and you're destroying yourselves. You guys are killing each other. I'm going to withhold some of the consequences that come with it but eventually I'm going to let it go and the consequences are going to come flooding in. So, some of the, so like uh, in Romans chapter 1, in other parts of Romans chapter 1, it says that God has given them over to the, to the problems that they created for themselves. That's the wrath of God when God says, I'm not going to hold these things back anymore. This is how the Noah story is actually constructed. God is holding the floodgates back and when people say, we don't want God anymore, they're like, you don't want God anymore? Okay, and then the flood's coming in, right? So that's what wrath means in the Old Testament and part of the New Testament. So keep that in mind when it says wrath. So it says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. What he's saying is, God is trying to withhold the, con the consequences because he loves you, but, if you but these people he's withholding and protecting are saying that we don't want God in our lives. We want to live the wicked lives that we're living right now. So he's like, okay, you're going to know that I exist. How? By me letting go of the floodgates of all the consequences that's supposed to come your way. Okay, then he says this. These people who don't want God to exist, they suppress the truth by their wickedness. These people are given proof day in and day out of the existence of the loving God, but because of their wickedness, they want to hide that truth from their eyes. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So he's saying God's made it really clear that he exists. But the reason why people don't see that he exists is because they rather hold on to their lives that they're living for themselves right now than to actually say, yeah, you know what? Actually, I do see the proof in front of me. And, and 
Paul continues this idea to the next verse. He says this. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, so you can't see God, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. He says, God is invisible, but you can see the proof of God all around you. From the day you were born, from the day that the world was created, God's attributes are all around you. Meaning, one day, you were probably lying down, you looked at the stars, and you're like, gee, I wonder if God exists. Or somebody is like selflessly loving you, like, gosh, this person loves me in a way that I've never felt before. I wonder where that came from. Paul's making this argument that says, one day when you face God, and God says, the world would have been much better if you just followed what I had for you, for you to love the people. The world would have been better. The, the, your neighborhood would have been better. Why didn't you live the way that I want you to live? Why didn't you love the neighbors? Why didn't you make amends with your enemies? Why didn't you do it? He says, your excuse cannot be, oh, I didn't know you existed. Because Paul also understands godlessness, atheism, at its root, comes from the will. You are purposely blinding yourself to the existence of God. But if you actually didn't have any bias towards this, if you were just to look for evidence, you'll find evidence of a loving God. So he says, you can't use that as an excuse. You can't. Because the evidence has been in front of you all along. Every single human being in the world, Paul will argue, every single human being, at one point in their lives, have pondered, maybe God is real. So there is no excuse for you to say that God doesn't exist. One day when you face God and see God's like, the plan I have for this world was better than what it is right now. And you could have contributed to making this world better. Why didn't you? You say, you can't say, I didn't know you existed. That is not a good excuse. So these writers in the Bible, they're basically saying this. If you were honest, would you not agree that your decision to not believe in God preceded the evidence that you gathered against him? The issue is the heart, not the brain. And you're like, like I said, I don't know who the sermon is for, but there is good news to this this thing because today's Thanksgiving. So I thought I was going to end it here, but I'm like, it's Thanksgiving. I should give some good news. Okay, so here's the good news. (laughs) When we acknowledge that our issue is resistance, not existence, God is ready to embrace you. This is the good news. Okay, let let me share with you what I mean by this. If you are going to be brutally honest and say, Kotz, you're right, it isn't the fact that I have evidence against God, that it's actually my heart that's the issue, that I don't want God to exist, that you're like Nagel and you say, it's not that I don't believe that God exists, it's that I don't want him to exist. If that's you and you're like, I'm really, okay, like I'll come to church, sure, Kotz, I'll come to church, but whenever I go to a life group or I talk to somebody, I'm just going to say clearly, it's like, hey, guys, I'm here, but let me just be honest with you, brutally honest. I just don't want God to exist. He's like, if that's you, if you could acknowledge the fact that this is your will, if you could get that far, then he says, you are now in the center of this flow of humanity through the, through the history of humanity of people who are saying, I believe he exists, but I just can't agree with him. As a matter of fact, if you look through the scriptures, almost every single character except for Jesus had that issue. Adam and Eve. Yeah, um, 
I see you, so I can't deny your existence. Uh, but I don't agree with you in this whole tree thing. So, eh, right. Abraham, um, I like the promise that you're giving me, God. Uh, I, I do want to live my life the way. Uh, but, you know, when I'm in trouble, like when I'm in Egypt and they ask me who's that woman, that who's my wife, I'm going to lie and say that that's my sister because I don't want to be in trouble. Um, yeah, that's my plan for my life, not your, you know, right. Every single human being in the Bible, minus Jesus, right, has that same issue that you're struggling with right now. They exist, they, they acknowledge the existence of God. It's just that they just don't agree with them. Meaning, if you're able to go from, I, if you could just, because you know, for, for a lot of us, right, we start from, I don't want to believe, and somehow that trickles into, I don't believe. He's like, if you could acknowledge that, if you could acknowledge that one thing, then you're in this, under, this place of saying, my issue with God is resistance, not existence. And if you could get that part, right? And by the way, to make that admission requires a lot of humility because you're basically admitting a lot of things like, hey, maybe I was wrong about this or anything, right? Um, I want to say this. If that's you, if you made that transition from existence to, to saying, like, I just don't agree with God, okay? If that's you, I want to reiterate what I said earlier today, which is this. You can belong before you believe. We want to have that dialogue with you. Like I said, we don't have all the answers. And you don't have all the answers. But maybe you know something that we don't know. And so we want to get to know you. We want to know what's going on in your heart. Why is it so hard for you to agree with God in certain things? Who knows? We could start a conversation that could change the church completely, right? And the reason why we want you to be a part of our family is because of this. Because we all understand that faith takes time. We don't expect you to get it right the first time. I didn't get it right the first time. The first brand of Christianity that I adopted was really toxic to me. And it took a long time for me to understand that at the core of who God is, it's love. And what love requires of me, a lot of times was really hard. I had to make amends with a lot of people that I wronged in the past. And some of you have similar testimonies to me. Like you're like, you know, now that I know that God is love, that means that I have to give up my spot for somebody who wants it more because that's good for them. Or now I have less money because I've actually been more generous. But I wouldn't trade it for anything else in the world because that's what love requires of me. Before you believe, you belong. Now, we're going to close this time because last week I went really long. Um, we want you to bring your doubts to church with you. If you were to say, if you have doubts, you can't come to church, then nobody would be here. I wouldn't be here. Um, we're going to close today's service a little differently than we usually do. I'm going to ask uh, everybody here to close their eyes. And for some of you who are in that place right now who are saying like, yeah, Kotz, I've been kind of going back and forth about this faith thing. I want you to be brutally honest. Why have you been going back and forth? What's that thing that's not settling well in your heart? What is that thing that's conflicting between you and God? <coughs> I want you to, and this is not just for people who are not Christians. This is for Christians also. We, everybody here has something, including Christians, who are like, God, I hear what you say, but I just don't agree with that one thing. And so I'm just going to leave it silent for the next few minutes. And I want you to wrestle with God in your heart. And as you're doing that, 
We're going to turn off the lights. The worship team's going to come up. And then I'm going to have Pastor Stan come up here and share a few words. And after that, we'll close our service. So let's close our eyes.